0: This episode is sponsored by Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. How do they do it? Like us, Girls Can Crate believes that real women make the best heroes. And every month, they deliver them to your doorstep. Hi, Katie. Hi, Olivia. So today... We are going to my very favorite place. Ooh. And my very favorite time <laughs> in the history of the world. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> Can you guess where we're going? Okay. So, are we talking about your very favorite place since childhood? Since. Yes. Like ever. Posters on your wall and books on your shelf when you were 12 ever. Old? Okay. <laughs> yes. Ancient Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Yes, <laughs> And we are going to talk about one of the only women to rule ancient Egypt as a pharaoh. Ooh, Nefertiti? Wait, no, she's too famous. Yeah, no, not Nefertiti. Okay. Hot Shepsut then. No, good guess. Okay. Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> we are going to talk about Tawasret. Uh, say that again? (laughs) (laughs) The wildly famous female pharaoh. (laughs) Sret. Wait, no, actually say it again. I can't hear those (laughs) phonemes. Tawasret. 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 Or, people who know this may have seen it as tosret, 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 because in hieroglyphics, of course, they do not write the vowels. Yeah. So we actually have no idea what any Egyptian words sounded like or what vowels they used. And we kind of change our minds every few decades about Ah, how we're going to pronounce things. That's awesome. But I like Tawasret. Tawasret. So that's what we're doing. T-A-W-O-S-R-E-T. Okay. Tawasret. Never heard of her. You are not alone. Mm.
1: Most (laughs) people
0: have never heard of her. Those people who have heard of her... It's very likely because I have a woman named Kara Cooney. She's a wildly popular Egyptologist <laughs> with a huge social media following. Really? Uh, who wrote a book called When Women Ruled the World. And Tawasrat is in that book. Cool. So I gave her a call. <laughs> As you do. As you do. <laughs> this is me being extremely cool and not at all fangirling. <laughs> Over my favorite Egyptologist. I just want everyone to be clear.
1: My name is Kara Kuni. I'm an
0: Egyptologist at UCLA. Kara Cooney is also the author of a fantastic book on Hatshepsut huh? called The Woman Who Would Be King. Cool. Tawasret is one of the most neglected stories from ancient Egypt. And to me, she's one of the most fascinating ones. Huh? Her story might be... A story of ambition and regicide and deeply flawed strategic thinking. Mm. Or it might be one of an obscure woman used as a puppet by a powerful man. Ah. Or it might be both. So in this episode, we're going to dig into the possibilities. Cool. I'm Olivia Mickle, And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's-Her-Name. Fascinating women you've never heard of. So we're going back to 1100 BCE. Okay. So that's New Kingdom, Egypt. Yeah, this is the Ramessid period. So Ramses, what a lot of people think of as a sort of golden age of Egypt. Yeah. Ramses the Great, okay. all of this. Okay. So first we need to explain that stories of anyone from ancient Egypt are very hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Egypt kept its secrets very close to the vest and they did not make any public references to anything that might tarnish the shine of the court of the pharaoh of the king. Mm. If
1: you let out the kind of realpolitik that's happening behind the scenes it will get you nothing but dead or threaten your entire family. And so you don't write it down. It's not going to help you. You may verbalize it. You may talk about it. And that's why we end up having to tell this history through circumstantial argument of who was erased from this temple and who was put in their place and whose name was added over the cartouche and whose tomb was changed. And it all becomes an exercise of trying to remove the veils of the perfected story that the Egyptians are telling us.
0: You are not going to allow any hint that there is drama behind the scenes. No, yeah. So most of what we have to go off of is just this very strict propaganda public narrative that is posted on monuments, that is posted on temples. I'm
1: not sure how to tell you how shocked I was when I had finished my PhD, when I realized that I was studying an authoritarian, almost totalitarian type regime, and that I had to look at them with that jaundiced of an eye. Before that period, I had really drunk the Egyptological Kool-Aid, celebrating my people and these beautiful things and all that they had created. Now I look with um, with much more of a side-eye. <laughs> to figure out what's going on. And it's opened up the history for me in a, in a new way, and it's astounding to me to read the Egyptologists who just believe
0: the state narrative. So, Egyptologists have two choices. They can accept that public narrative and just go with what is written, or we can speculate yeah. with the info that we do have. Hmm. That's more fun, so <laughs> we're going to speculate. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> the public record of Tawashret's story is so limited that we don't even know where she came from or when she enters. Her husband was the pharaoh Seti II. He became the pharaoh when he was very old, His father just refused to die (laughs) and carried on until Seti was quite elderly when he finally became the pharaoh.
1: Tawasrat's story is really tough to tell because you don't even know when she first shows up, except that she's queen of Seti II. But Seti II has another queen. And by queen, I mean great royal wife, which is a very particular Egyptian title, which connotes the the first queen in the harem, if you like, like being, I don't know, first cello in an orchestra. She's the one that gets to rule everything, right? And to have two great royal wives is aberrant. It's strange. So
0: that, that already speaks to something going on. He's supposed to make more kids after he becomes the pharaoh because those kids are more likely to carry on. huh? So Presumably, Seti's wife is also quite old. Mm. So Seti takes a second great royal wife. And this is where Tawasret enters. She is this new young wife who is brought into the court. She seems to be a nobody. She's not a daughter or a sister of the king. She's not a daughter or a sister of the previous king. Right, yeah, the pharaoh's... Are today renowned for sometimes marrying their sisters and daughters, right? Yes, mostly marrying their sisters and daughters. Ooh. <laughs> yes, for a long period of time. It's actually a really clever way to consolidate power within the family mm-hmm. that you're not marrying out, you're not allying yourself to other families and increasing their power and prestige. Right. But of course, there are problems with that. <laughs> It's a tricky balance
1: because in Dynasty 18, when you have so much female power, you also have incest, which weakens the dynasty. Because the more power you give to a king's daughter or king's sister, the more they're marrying the king and the more they're having children with the king, and the more those offspring are chosen to be the next king. And then you have Tutankhamun, who's the product of incest. You have Hatshepsut herself, who's probably the product of incest. But her daughter, Neferi, was certainly the product of incest. And... While this keeps power within the family very securely, it creates a long-term problem for that family (laughs) in terms of genetic health, right? And the ancient Egyptians knew this, everybody knew this. Everyone, you know, helped animals procreate. I mean, people knew what it meant to breed with one's own relative and what the problems would be. The Ramessid period, you don't have that kind of inbreeding in the family, but then you lose the king's greatest protector the king's greatest protector is in many ways a strong and powerful female. All of her agenda is wrapped up with his agenda. And she can't take power as king very easily, so it's, it's less of a threat to him. So in some ways, when the Ramessids push that female power away, they're pushing their greatest protector away. Maybe then it's fitting that at the end of the 19th dynasty, in the middle of that civil war, you see female power cropping up again. When Egypt's crisis is the greatest is often when you see the female power coming to the floor.
0: But this time period, this Ramessid period, they really start to reject that idea. They're wary of female power. It reduces the problems with, of course, inbreeding. Uh-huh. But it also creates a huge problem politically For the pharaohs and for their families, because suddenly all of these other outside people have accessed power in ways that they haven't before. Mm. Ramses also makes the mistake of allowing his sons, his extra sons, who aren't (laughs) the heir, to announce who they are, to sort of be out in society and announcing, I am the king's son. I am very big and important. That's never happened before. Extra sons are just sort of blended into society and they don't get a role and they don't get to announce their identity Hmm. and be seen as important. So suddenly you have all of these princes, for lack of a better term, who are out there competing with one another and vying for power and vying for authority and Mm. prestige in society. Mm. That's hugely dangerous for the people who actually hold the power at the time. So this time period is marked by wild, infighting, scandals, Mm -hmm. drama behind the scenes. Yeah, I kind of think of it as traditionally, or in the grand scheme of things, this is the time period when Egypt starts to fall apart. Is that right? Yeah, the the idea of these very long dynasties Mm -hmm. where you have hundreds and hundreds of years of one family ruling, that stops here. This Mm. is the... Sort of the last long dynasty, and everything starts to fall apart. And Tawasret sees out this dynasty. She is the last one. And this often happens that a woman is the last one who, depending on your perspective, destroys a dynasty or <laughs> gets the crisis dumped on her and then blamed for it. Oh, huh. Because it's only when you are just truly deep in crisis that you'll accept a woman ruler. Right, yeah. So, this rejection of female authority and power at this time makes it even more unusual that Tawasret will end up in power. Mm-hmm. But how does she get there? Well, she is a wife, she's in the background. She doesn't seem to produce any children, hmm. or at least any children that live. And so when Seti II dies, she should just fade away. Right. Somehow, she ends up standing as regent, essentially, for the next king, who is a young boy named Sipta, who is no relation to her at all. Huh. She's not his mother. She's not his sister. She's nobody. So how does she get here? Right.
1: Then you see Tawasrat acting alongside the next king. She's not his queen. She's not his mother. But she is labeled as the mistress of the two lands alongside this boy king, Sipta. Sipta, whose mummy we have found, seems to have been a sickly king. He actually dies just a few years later. His body shows that he was quite young at the age of his death, which means that he was quite young during his kingship. And so it seems that Tawasret was there as
0: his regent. Fairly quickly after we start seeing Tawasret and Sipta together on monuments as the rulers, we have the addition of a random strange man named Bai B-A-Y. So it looks like Bay, but you pronounce it. Bai. Okay. Who is a chancellor. His origins are very murky. It's not
1: clear. He may have been Syrian and not Egyptian. His name actually has a, a Semitic tone and origin to it, and there's much Egyptological discussion on that score. Bai starts showing himself on full scale with Tawasrit and with Sipto. So you actually have this weird triumvirate of power two of the people with informal power, one of them with formal power, but the king with formal power is a child and doesn't seem to be exercising much actual power. And then all of a sudden this chancellor dude, this bi, is depicted all over the place in a way that shows that he has great power on equal footing with the king, equal size and stature as the king and all of these reliefs.
0: Something is going on. Sipta, the pharaoh, is young. He is sickly. He seems to possibly have cerebral palsy. <laughs> he has a club foot. <laughs> and so you can see why this boy may have needed a regent. Yeah. But the selection of Tawasrat for this is bizarre. Yeah. And there's no explanation given because this is a public monument. The general belief now is that by this chancellor, is... Deeply ambitious Mm. and trying to place himself in power and using Tawasret to get himself there. Mm. That she is the puppet. He can use her as a royal female, whereby has no standing whatsoever to be in charge. Yeah. But wouldn't it make sense if he was choosing a puppet? Wouldn't he choose a more, a less controversial puppet? It's so hard to know, right? Because we just, we have no records. We have no Mm information yeah. at all about what was going on inside. She may have been deeply popular. Yeah. Maybe she was she may su- have been, super smart. Yeah. Huh. We, we don't know. Maybe they were in love. Maybe she was super easily manipulated. Yeah. <laughs> and he decided, hey, that one will be easy and mm. places her in power. Yeah. And now let's pause for a word from our sponsor. Girls Can Crate is an awesome subscription box that introduces girls age 5 to 10 to real, fearless women who made the world better. Every month, this subscription box brings the story of a new incredible woman, a beautifully designed book, hands-on seam activities, and more. And if you're on a budget, they have mini crates too. Real women make the best heroes, and every month, Girls Can Crate delivers them. We promise, this is so much cooler than you can imagine. Go to girlscancrate, C-R-A-T-E use our special coupon code, HERNAME, all one word, to get 20% off your first box on any subscription. We guarantee you're going to love it as much as the girls you buy it for. That's girlscancrate, C-R-A-T-E dot com. And use the code HERNAME to get 20% off. The only hint that we have about the people's feeling about this chancellor stepping in and putting himself on the same level, is from a village called Deir el-Medina,
1: there's a place called Deir el-Medina, which is an artisan's village out in Western Thebes, and it housed the workmen, the artisans, and their families of the men who built and decorated the tombs in the Valley of the Kings and the Valley of the Queens. And these men were literate, and they wrote down all kinds of things about their daily lives. We have divorce documents, we have receipts, we have all kinds of information about them. And I've actually devoted a huge part of my career to this village of, of dir al medina 19th, 20th dynasty village. Out in the middle of the desert, so everything survives. It's like a you know perfect preservation, you get all of these texts. And from this place, one text just recently discovered in the last uh, 15 years says that the enemy has been killed, that Sipta, the king, has killed Bai. And he's named. And he's named as being removed from power. So we see that Bai was thought of as transgressive, as aberrant in his own power grab. And that the king had to remove him
0: from power. Wow. So this is a very exciting turn of events. The king has killed the chancellor. Yeah. There's a problem. Now, We also know, we have the mummy of Sipta. We know how
1: old he was when he died. We know what it means to be a a young king and that, you know, I have a nine-year-old son myself and let's imagine that I I invite all of your listeners who have 14-year-old sons in the house to think how strategic they're able to be and if they would be able to put together a coup against their puppet master pulling their strings. I'm not so sure they'd be able to do it alone and I think they would need help and it seems that Tawastret, this is all a circumstantial argument. This is all working from just the tiniest little fragments, the tiniest little pieces of the puzzle when we only have 10% of the pieces. But it seems that Tawastret must
0: have been involved. Ha. And she's definitely the one who benefits. Mm. Because now she is alone in charge with this young pharaoh. Ah. So she's got the means and the motive. Exactly. Again, this is all speculation, but it's informed speculation. Right. And it's the best we can do. Mm-hmm. So maybe Tawasret has grown tired of being a puppet and decided to take over. I like it. Maybe she was never a puppet at all. Yeah. Maybe he was her, her was puppet. was always the one in charge. Maybe he was her puppet. Yeah. We can't know. And that's the fun part exactly. for me. Exactly. But whatever her plan may have been something goes wrong. Just a couple of years after Bai is killed slash removed from power, the pharaoh dies.
1: We don't know how. We don't know the, the details of this, but just, you know, a couple years later, Siptah is gone himself. And guess who is king after this? Tawasrat. She takes the reins of Egypt into her hand she names herself as not queen but king nesut a tomb in the valley of the kings that was started for her as the great royal wife and the god's wife of amun and she has this redone for her as king
0: now whether she killed him or not right everyone believes that she killed him oh boy it's very, very easy for the people at this point to decide that clearly Thomas was responsible for this. Right. He was sickly. He was sickly. It's it's very possible that he just died. Yeah. It could have been like a disaster for her if she was exactly. planning on being his regent. Right. She she may have overstepped in her ambition and gotten tired of having to deal with this teenage boy mm-hmm. and taking him out. Mm-hmm. Or she may have been utterly horrified when he died and left her in the position to take the blame. And since females are never allowed to be pharaohs, that would take some serious outside-the-box thinking if she's going to kill him to try to take over herself. Because that never happened.
1: Women know that they have to rule differently. I'm chair of my department at UCLA, the Department of Near Eastern Languages and Cultures. And I know that I can't go around and just tell people what to do in a particular way. I know that I have to couch it in a certain way. I know that I can't push it too far. I know I have to do it with a smile. <laughs> and I'm not trying to oversimplify. I just know how I am perceived. And I know that my gender colors so much of what I do until Western must have known the same. So for her to just go out and have Siptah murdered seems rather foolhardy when she's the one that's probably pulling all of
0: the strings anyway. She has to know that the people are not going to put up with this. Yeah. And of course they don't. So she declares herself Pharaoh and starts putting her name as Pharaoh on monuments, which might be a point in favor of her getting ambitious and deciding to remove But it might also be a sign that she just is scrambling to try to figure out what to do because there's nobody left. Mm. This is the the end of the dynasty. And she suddenly has dropped in her lap the responsibility to keep things together when the whole world is falling apart. Because all of Europe at this point is falling apart. Huge mass migrations of people are coming from all of the neighboring areas to northern Africa trying to survive. Mm. This completely destabilizes Egypt. There are tens of thousands of people pouring in that this country has no idea how to receive and contain and integrate. Time
1: periods of migration and massive social change bring up
0: the worst in people.
1: The most fear, the most dehumanization of the other, the most cruelty to keep people out. Mm. The Bronze Age
0: collapse. It used to be just, you know, isolated scholars seeing these crises in different places, but not connecting them all together. And it's still mm. really controversial. They might be all connected, it might be coincidence. We don't really know what caused it. We're still working out what on earth happened. Mm. We see that the Mycenaeans abandoned their cities, but that's all we know. We don't know where they went. We can't find the evidence of where they ended up. They could have died. It could have been the eruption of a volcano. Like, we just don't know. And even sometimes these sea peoples that get mentioned in records, we have no idea who they are or where yeah. they came from. It's awesome. It's yeah. like this huge mystery it caused the collapse of every civilization in Eurasia and we don't know what triggered all of it it's it's (laughs) crazy it's bonkers yeah so whoever they are and wherever they're from Uh we have this massive influx of people flooding into Egypt Uh during this 19th dynasty and Egypt is not equipped to handle this especially the Ramessid rulers are not equipped to handle this which is hilarious, because the Ramessid rulers are not Egyptian.
1: And you could even say that the Ramessid family itself owes itself to the Bronze Age collapse. The Ramessids, and this is this is coming from an article that I'm writing right now, and work with one of my graduate students, Danielle Candelora, who planted this idea in my mind. The Ramessids are like Hyksos part two. If you know anything about the Hyksos, these are people of the Levant, who took over Egypt as foreign kings, the delta at least during the second intermediate period around uh, 1700 BCE, 14th, 15th, and 16th dynasties. And we've talked about them as these foreign Levantine kings who had very different tribal structures of rule, etc., etc. Well, Ramses I was probably a mercenary whose family came from Canaan. He's an Eastern Delta guy. And they're essentially a bunch of foreign mercenary immigrants. These men come into Egypt as as mercenaries, as immigrants on the back foot, but they're scrappy and they work their way forward and they settle in the Delta. This family and eventually that military power in this time period of upheaval and invasion from the Sea Peoples and constant migrations of what are we going to do now? And the military gets stronger and the mercenaries take the power. And so a family from the Levant settled in the eastern
0: delta takes power. So again, in the middle of all this military competition, Look. it's the most unexpected time for a woman to be put in power. Yeah. So probably she is a puppet. But if she's a puppet, who's Puppet? Mm. And who takes over? Does she kick Bai out? Is someone else pulling the strings of everyone behind the scenes? We have no idea. We just can't know. And it's so fascinating. Oh, there's a different Puppet Master who killed Bai and who killed the boy Pharaoh. And there could be someone who just is smart enough not to put themselves on monuments. Ooh. Or is Bi's ingrained sexism and unwillingness to see her as a worthy adversary. What brings him down? That he sees her as this disposable, manipulatable puppet and cannot see her moving behind the scenes to remove him. Cool. It's completely possible that he puts her in as a placeholder and then she finds a way to push back. Mm -hmm. I like that version. I choose that version. Me too. I choose the version she starts out as a totally innocent clueless puppet. And then she steps into her power and she ousts the evil by and she's all set to rule with this boy king and then he dies. And then he dies. Yeah. And then she- And now what does she do? Right. But I don't
1: want to remove ambition as a possibility from the female just because she's a female. I don't want to oversimplify the gender to such an extreme.
0: So, whether she did or not, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because society thought she had. And this is a perfect excuse to remove her from power. This is especially important because Egypt really dislikes removing pharaohs from power. Mm. They will put up with a lot of chaos from a pharaoh because of this really deeply held belief that the gods have decided who is in charge. Yeah. The most famous example being Akhenaten. Mm. that. The Pharaoh Akhenaten, the heretic king, completely turns Egyptian society upside down. Karakuni points out the the best example for, you know, Western history is probably Henry VIII. If we look to the most aberrant
1: Egyptian male ruler before Tawasret, I think we could go back to Dynasty 18 and look at Akhenaten. A man who changed the religious system at its core. Kind of a Henry VIII of ancient Egypt, but probably with a lot more religious conviction who closed temples and diverted funds and took treasures and took all of the god's statues into his own hands and used them to fund his regime, right? The Egyptians called him a heretic after his death. But he ruled for 17 years, and he was able to install his wife, Nefertiti, on the throne next to him, and it seems that Nefertiti was able to act as king after his death. So it's an interesting comparison you make because This man was ripping Egypt apart at its core, and yet he was allowed to do it. And the fact that he was a man, I must believe, is a part of that story.
0: The people let it happen. Because he's the pharaoh. Because he's the pharaoh. But the fact that she's a woman, and the fact that they can say she probably killed the pharaoh, makes it much easier for the people to blame her.
1: Cleopatra is treated as if she did all kinds of horrible things. And that's the Romans telling us this. It's, it's really hard to accept the story when all the blame was placed on the female, because that happens so much in history. And we know the female had nothing to do with it or very little, or was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or like Jezebel or Athaliah is just an easy mark. I have to be careful with Tal too. I don't know how far her ambition extended. And for all we know, I mean, Siptah was an inbred kid with a club foot. It's quite possible
0: the kid just died an early death. So at this point, once again, we know almost nothing about what is going on. But this new challenger to the throne appears in southern Egypt. Hmm. His name is Setnacht. And Setnacht is challenging Tawosret's throne. Hmm. There are
1: two texts that we we work with, the Harris Papyrus being one of them, written potentially after his death. So that makes it problematic as well. And I mean, after the death of Setna, suggests that he took power and then pushed back against Tauwastret, maybe took power in the South and then pushed back against
0: her rule. I mean, which seems to imply something more like a civil war than just a coup, that this is a drawn-out, process where people are having to take sides. And yes, and it could be you. a
1: north versus south thing. It could be factions within the Ramessid family, one son's family versus another son's family.
0: Maybe an actual civil war going on between these two rulers, Tawasret in the north and Setnacht in the south. Mm-hmm. He might be another brother. Huh. of Siptah and Seti. He might be a cousin or some relative who is using that to claim power. Mm-hmm. He might be a random military leader who has decided that he is going to be in charge. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happens. What? Eventually, Setnacht becomes the pharaoh huh. and Tawasret is removed. We don't know if it's a war, we don't know if it's a coup, we don't know if it's an assassination. All we know is that he begins proclaiming himself emperor in the south, mm. and a few years later, Tawasret is gone. Wow. We don't even know if she's dead or not? No. Wow. She's no longer in power, we assume she's dead. But that's the end of her story. That's all we know. Huh? She just disappears. So Poisret gets blamed for the end of the nineteenth dynasty, mm. and she is the last ruler of the nineteenth dynasty. And from then on, there's going to be tiny short dynasties that are two or three generations. Mm. But of course, they never would have handed power to Tarat if there was any other option. Yeah,
1: it's very easy to blame the female. And we still do this today. and this is this is one reason I like to make Egyptology as relevant to the modern day as I possibly can because I see these things repeated. It's. I still haven't figured out why in my mind. I still haven't cracked exactly why, but it is so much easier to blame a female for the crisis rather than look at the crisis and say, oh, that's why there's a female in power at all. We'll say, oh, we have the crisis because she's emotional, she's weak, she's this, she's that. They find cracks and chinks in the, in the female armor. The female's in a no-win situation. If she tries to masculinize, they say, oh, why are you wearing that pantsuit? If she tries to lower her voice, you know, she gets in trouble for that. The more she tries to act like a man, the more problematic people find her leadership. These are problems that I think we are we are dealing with more overtly than we ever have before. And these Egyptian women, women like Tawasrat, have a great deal to teach us on this score.
0: They will accept her as long as she is ruling alongside yeah. Sipta. But as soon as she begins to show ambition... Mm. When she names herself Pharaoh, it's utterly intolerable. Yeah, that's when the guy from the South gains all his momentum. Yeah, and as Kara Cooney points out, this seems to be a recurring theme. Yeah, and there's there's so much sociological research on this, too, which I find really fascinating, that we actually really like powerful women until the moment that they begin to show ambition Mm -hmm. in 21st century U.S. Yeah. You can watch the approval rates of women in power, (laughs) And they will be very high until the moment they announce they're running for something or they try to upgrade ah. their position of power. Mm. And they instantly tank. Interesting. And we hate them mm. when they show ambition. But as soon as they, for example, win that office, we like them again. Yeah. Until they decide to run for something else that we we cannot cope with women showing ambition. Huh. It is so odd. It's baffling to me. She's not removed from monuments like Hatshepsut famously is Mm. is chipped off of monuments after she dies. She is erased. Egypt doesn't usually go to that extreme. What they will do is just stop talking about you. Mm -hmm. We have to sort of piece together these clues from people who don't want to use the name anymore. And so you'll have oblique references to Tawasret. But nowhere is an official explanation given of what happened. Setnacht creates monuments proclaiming that he has bravely rescued Egypt from false rulers. He does not name
1: Tawasret. He does not name Ba'i. Egyptians don't like to mention people they hate. I'm still like this about my ex-husband. Actually, I don't like to mention him by name. It's true. So he, you know, the Egyptians use like a code word for this for this guy. Setnakht, the first king of Dynasty Twenty, also talks about the ruler who was on the throne before in very vague terms and how that
0: ruler had to be removed. That must be Thawseret, yeah, and maybe by, yeah, but there's no way he would be referring to off that way, for example. Uh But the names are not given and the stories, the details are not told. Yeah. You wouldn't want to legitimize them by referring to them by name. And of course, famously, right, having your name on your things, on your mummy, on your tomb is a really important part of how you... Maintain your immortality. Oh, yeah. That your immortality is linked to your name surviving, mm. not just your mummy surviving. You need to have your mm. name on your stuff and on your body. So, take away their name. So, by and- removing their name, you're removing their power. So, in the end, we don't really know who she was or what she did. <laughs> Or why she did it. Uh-huh. Or what happened or, to her in or the. Or what happened. <laughs> and that's how Egypt does history. <laughs> Huge thanks to Dr. Kara Cooney. You can find her books anywhere books are sold and find more about her work on her website at karakuni.squarespace.com or on her social media feeds, which are delightful and which I highly recommend. If you'd like to learn more about Tawasret and 19th Dynasty Egypt, visit our website at whatshournamepodcast.com. Huge thanks also to our Patreon sponsors for this episode, Mandy, Rob, and Virginia Booty and Chantel Oliver. If you'd like to become a sponsor, visit our website at what'shernamepodcast.com and click Donate. You can help support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month, and our patrons get lots of great prizes, like cross-stitch patterns, trading cards, and more. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. Music for this episode was provided by Egyptian film composer Ramon Saker and the Ancient Liar specialist Michael Levy, whose incredible work you can find at ancientliar.com. L-Y-R-E we're always so grateful for our generous musical partners. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle. So, if you want to be a queen, destabilize your society, and then... Or
1: marry your brother. Or
0: marry your brother. And then murder everyone who's <laughs> in the <every laughs> line of succession... This episode is sponsored by The Process, a creative docu-series. How do you capture the power of creativity? In a new video docu-series, filmmaker Daniel Foster Smith interviews artists, makers, and other creatives to understand how they move through the artistic process and overcome creative blocks. Go to danielfostersmith.com and start streaming episodes today.